Generations Church, good morning. Welcome. We are glad you're here. Whether you're joining us now at 9 a.m. or at 11 a.m., we're glad you're here. Today, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 27. You just heard 1 Samuel 26 read to you by our liturgist. You get to hear that story of David again kind of creeping up on Saul and then sparing his life. And so we pick up right after that in the next chapter. And I want to ask you this question. What do we do when we're unsure of what we do next? What do we do when we're asking God for something, when we're not sure? Maybe it's a, a decision a, around a job, or I know I have a lot of high school students right now that are choosing colleges. Probably that was something that was more true a month ago. Now they're probably landing in those decisions. Maybe it's who to date, who to marry. Maybe it's what to do, kids, home, all those things. But what happens when we get to this place, we have a direction. We need God to give us direction, to give us leading, but we don't have an answer. We don't feel like God has given us an answer yet. What do we do in that moment? I want to give you a verse that we're going to start out with. It's out of Matthew 6. And Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, what do we do when we don't know what God is calling us to do? But also, sometimes we begin to worry about the future. What, what, what about this down the road? And Jesus reminds us that, hey, there's enough to worry about today that we don't have to get caught up in the other things. But sometimes we find ourselves worrying about, how do I make this decision? Or how will this impact the future? Or what's coming down the road? So here's a starting idea for us. We're not supposed to know everything. God doesn't reveal everything to us immediately. Faith requires us to live in the unknown and follow God daily, sometimes one step at a time. It's that life of faith, it's that life of dependency that God doesn't show us every step, the, the whole route, even sometimes the, death, the destination, but rather God keeps us from knowing so that we might be faith-filled with each step, trusting in God's leading for the next step. So what do we do when we don't want know what to do next? We're going to see two stories, David and Saul. Will you pray with me and we'll get started? God, thank you that we could be together today, both online and in person. Thank you. Will you be with us as we work through your word? Jesus, will you speak to us today? Please, it's in your name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel 27, beginning in verse 1, says this. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. When Saul, then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David is tired of running from Saul, right? He's, he's tired of this life on the run. So here's what I, I just kind of jotted down a little list of, here's what David does know right now. God has made Saul king currently. That's who's king now. But God has promised to make him king. David knows that too. He knows that God has not let him fight Saul, attack Saul, or even kill Saul, though he's had many opportunities to do so. And he also knows he's sick of being on the run, right? What David doesn't know is when he will become king. What he doesn't know is what he is supposed to do until then. With each step, it seems like God, uh, David is asking God questions. David, God, what do I do here? Do I remain here like in Keilah, like I defend to these people? Will they protect me from Saul or do I need to leave? And, and God calls him to leave. 
Do I go in and fight with Saul? Do I go out to the wilderness? God lets him go out into the wilderness. And so with each step, God directs and guides David, but it's not like he gives him the next 10 steps. So David decides to move from here. He says he will go live with the Philistines. Now remember, they're his enemies. He fought them at Gath when he defeated Goliath. He fought them when they were attacking uh, the city of their village of Keilah. And so he's going to go live with people that are really his enemies until God reveals what to do next. So David is going to do something very distasteful to him, but that's all he's got right now. Verse 2, so David arose and he went over, he and 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, the king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So David, out in a place where he would rather not be, for the first time finds respite from the attacks of Saul. It says while he's there, Saul no longer pursues him. There's this temporary peace for David. Verse 5, then David said to Achish, if I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. David moves to the land of the Philistines, the land, in fact, the very king of Gath, where David defeated this great giant soldier so many years back. He goes and lives in that place, and the king allows him in. Now, David comes in. This might be weird, and we're trying to figure out, okay, like, they fight, and then they don't. Well, there's a lot of Philistine tribes, and there's more than one king. And David, even though this is the area they fought against them, somehow David and 600 men is appealing for Achish, the king, and the king lets him in. It's probably better for this king to allow him in and treat him well than to fight against him. And that turns out to work out well for David. David asks, hey, let me go live out in the country somewhere. And so he gives him Ziklag. And then the author here tells us, now, Ziklag has been a part of Israel's people or Israel's land ever since this moment when this king gives it to David. Verse 8, now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. For those were the inhabitants of the land from old, as far as sure, to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments and come back to Achish. So David attacks these nations that God has told his people all the way back from Joshua forward to remove from the land. And you know, we've read through these stories. There's one community group that's working its way through Joshua. Our other community groups have worked their way through several books of this uh, kind of rise of the kingdom section of scripture. And uh, we've seen as from Joshua forward that these Amalekites and the Gergesites and all these others have been these adversaries. And when Israel, when God's people will go in and wipe them out, he gives them that city and he destroys the evil in it. But when they go in and they keep some of it or they let some of the people live, that problem kind of breeds itself into his people. And so David goes in, obediently wipes out everybody, takes what God has told his people to do, and he goes and he completes it. In fact, even King Saul left the Amalekites to live, 
David goes in and in this area wipes them out. Verse 10. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of the Jeheramites, against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while when he lived in the, with the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself such an utter stench to his people Israel, Therefore, he shall always be my servant. So David tells the king that he is attacking Israel's land, that he's going and fighting against Jewish people, God's people, against Saul's people, which would be more important to Achish. Oh, he's making himself an enemy of his own country. But when really he's going out and he's conquering the enemies of God's people. So David isn't telling the king the truth. He's withholding this information. And when he goes in and he wipes out a country, he wipes him out completely so no one can run and tell the king any different. And so David knows he's attacking God's people's enemy, Israel's enemies. But he is kind of portraying himself, not kind of, he is portraying himself to Achish the king that he is doing something that is uh, against God's people. And so the king begins to trust David, and it's probably a trust of convenience, right? Well, he's attacking his own people. That means he can't leave here. He's kind of subject to me. I have this power over him, because if I get rid of him, he can't go home. But that's really built on a lie, because he's not doing that. So 1 Samuel 28. Now, the story shifts. Verse 1, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So the Philistines again are going to go to war with Israel. Remember, we've talked about this. This is a perpetual problem for God's people. They always have these problems with the Philistines. Now, consider what this king and the Philistines believed here. They think that the, 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 the Philistines think Israel is being weakened by David, right? And Israel thinks that the Philistines are being weakened by David because Israel hears of David's th are the things that are happening to those other nations. But all, ag all along, God is making David more powerful, he is giving him land. He is conquering the land. His, his hundreds of soldiers are getting better and stronger, and there's becoming more of them. They're getting wealthier. They're taking things in. Verse 3, it says, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him at Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put out the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. There's this verse in Leviticus 19. It says this, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers, do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. So this, this verse, this command from God exists, and it's tied into, in Leviticus 19, it's tied into worship of God, that you are to have God only, God alone, worship no other gods, right? And in that, it's built into that, is you're to trust in God alone. And so you don't go outside of the faith, and go see somebody who reads your palms or is a psychic medium or talks to, you know, the dead or the spirits or, you know, kind of does tarot cards or, you know, any kind of thing, right? And so what happened was in this culture, a lot like what we see today, there were people that would foretell the future for them. Now, just like today, most of them were a hustle, right? They were a con. They were just taking people's money, just like a lot 
we see today. But there are people that are very serious about it. Astrology, um, men, fortune-telling, psychics, etc., right? But God has commanded that those things not be done. And here's the simple reason why. That we are to trust in God, right? That we're to have one God, God alone, and that God will tell us what we need to know. And that means if God doesn't tell us, then we don't need to know. We may want to know, but we don't need to know. And God says, he alone, God alone knows the future. No one knows the future, right? Jesus, even in answering his disciples' question at one point, says, listen, only God knows. I don't even know. The angels in heaven don't know. Only God, right? And there are things that God doesn't tell us. And so when God doesn't tell us something, when God doesn't say what tomorrow holds for us or next year holds for us, when he doesn't do that, he's doing that we will, that we will trust him in this moment, that we will follow him step by step, not that we will go and cut God out of our process to try and figure out the future. And so no astrology, no psychics, no mediums, right? No tarot cards, no palm readers, none of that. And so God has outlawed those, and Saul, in his one kind of kingly act where he's being obedient, he gets rid of all the mediums and necromancers, those who talk to the dead. He gets rid of all of them from Israel. Verse 4, before we get there, I want to ask this question again. What do you do when God doesn't tell you the next step, right? What do you do when you don't know what God is calling you to do? Do you try and go around him to someone else? Do you try and go around him and go, well, you know, I can go to this psychic over here. Or I can look at my astrology or I can do this. And really the question underlying all this is, are we willing to sin and disobey God because God hasn't revealed something to us, right? What do we do when we're not sure what God is leading us towards? Verse four, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. It's the famous witch of Endor, right? Here's what happens. Saul, in a moment past, in the past, right? He's gotten rid of them because God said, don't have them. So in Israel, he's gotten rid of the necromancers, those who talk to the dead, the mediums, those who talk to spirits, right? And those who would do this. And then he gets to this place and the Philistines are coming and he's, a fear, and he's afraid of them. And so in his fear, he runs to God, which is great. I'm glad he does that. We should do that. In times of fear, we should be able to trust God. But he asks God, and remember, he hasn't sought God on almost anything else. And so it's no wonder that, he, that God doesn't run to answer Saul when Saul hasn't been listening to him all along, right? And so from the outside, we can imagine, well, no wonder God's not talking to Saul. Saul pretty much ignores God all the other times, right? So now Saul's afraid. He goes to God and he says this, he doesn't answer him by dreams or by Urim and Thummim or by prophets. And so really, he doesn't speak to him directly in a dream or a vision. He doesn't tell him through the priesthood, the Urim and the Thummim. He won't give him an answer. Remember, the Urim and the Thummim are like a, a black and a white rock that they would keep in the, the priesthood's clothes, and they would kind of do almost like a divine coin toss, if you will, that God 
chose which rock came out to guide them, or prophets, someone who would just show up and speak on behalf of God. So Saul's getting nothing. He's getting no direction. And like us, he's at this place, and he's like, okay, do I go or do I run? What do I do? God's not speaking to me. Now, in Saul's case, it's probably because he hasn't been following God all along. In our case, sometimes God just doesn't show us what's next. And in this case, God doesn't tell him what to do, and so he's, he's panicking, he's afraid, and so what he does is he chooses to go against God. Now, we know he knows better because he already got rid of the mediums, and then he says, well, go find me a medium, right? Go find me, and this is often in other translations called the witch of Endor. So God's not answering me. Let's go do what God says not to do. What could go wrong, Right? Verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know that what Saul has done, how he has cut off all the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul goes to this woman who is a professed medium, a necromancer, someone who will speak to the dead. Saul wants to talk to someone who has already died. Now, we know what's coming because in the beginning of the passage, it says, now Samuel had died, which we already knew, right? Samuel died and they buried him. Well, Saul's going to ask to speak to Samuel. But what happens in the middle is really beautiful. Remember, God hasn't given him an answer. Does he fight the Philistines or not? That's what he's asking. Will he be victorious or will he lose? God hasn't answered him yet. So instead of waiting on God, as Saul's habit has been, he gets out in front of God sinfully. When he doesn't get an answer, he goes off to a medium, oddly to ask if he can talk to Samuel. But even though God hasn't given him the next step, here's what God does. Remember last week when we talked about David, who in his head was committed to going in and murdering Nabal. He had taken soldiers. They were all ready to go into Nabal's home and in his village and wipe out everyone. And then Abigail rides out and stops him. And we talked about that, that moment we have when we've committed to sinning in our minds, but we haven't quite done it yet. We've already sinned in our heads, but we haven't gone through with everything yet. And God gives us that moment where we can bail, right? That off-ramp of the freeway. We're like, okay, I don't have to keep going. I can get off here, right? I can get out of what I'm going into. God gives David that as Abigail shows up. God actually gives Saul a chance. It's right here in this moment where the medium of all people says, why do you do this to me? You know that Saul has banned all of us, right? And are you laying a trap for me? This is the moment where Saul could have said, you're right, that's a bad idea. Saul's banned this, even though he's Saul, right? Saul has banned this, and he could run away. But he doesn't. David did last week. He relented. Saul is going to go through with it. Verse 10. But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Don't worry, it's going to be just fine. God won't judge you for this. Hey, let's call on God's prophet Samuel. Right? How, again, could this go wrong? Or really and truthfully, how could this go right? right? I mean, how does Saul see this playing out in a way that works? Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. 
I want to look at a similar story here for us. I want to give us something to kind of parallel what's going on. Saul's written into this medium. He's gone onto this medium to speak to her, and, and he's asking to speak to Samuel. And this medium, somehow she, Samuel shows up, it looks like, right? And, and Saul's going to speak to Samuel. And all of this is because God hasn't told him what he is supposed to do or not do. It's this lack of knowing or lack of understanding what to do that Saul allows to drive him into sin. So here's the story, Genesis 2, and you all know this story. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God has created Adam. He's created the first human being, the first man, Adam. And God gives Adam a way to live. And that, that life is one of obedience. And what he does is God says, now here is all the tr- fruit of the garden, all the trees, all the things that bear fruit. You can have them all. But there's one tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. On the day that you eat of that one, you will surely die. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat from this one tree. Now, we always ask, like, why the one tree? Like, why not just let them have everything and we wouldn't be in this crazy mess? But it's because our design is to be obedient. And for us to be obedient, there has to be a way of being disobedient. And so of all the trees, of all the many choices that are all good and glorify God, there's one that doesn't. But I want you to see this note, that one that doesn't glorify God, that one that is disobedience, it's about knowledge. Right? It's the knowledge, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, humanity was never supposed to know evil, just good, right? We were never supposed to know sin, just God. And so the tree that you're not to eat from has knowledge in it, that's not a good thing. So verse, uh, the next chapter, Genesis 3, says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they go and are tempted by Satan to eat from this tree that they've been told not to. And here's what it says. It says, well, it looks like it's good, like the fruit looks pleasing, it looks like it's going to taste good, and supposedly it's supposed to make you wise, supposed to give you knowledge, right? Why is God withholding this knowledge from us, right? That's what they're thinking. And so they sin, they disobey God, and they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And ultimately, our broken world today, everything from coronavirus and race and poverty and struggle and, you know, lower back pain in the sniffles, I mean everything, right? Everything is the result of sin. The brokenness and the struggles in marriages and raising children and, and you know, we just, said, we just prayed for that shooting that took place earlier this week. I mean, all of that is the result of this one disobedience, and really what was going on there was this, I want to know what that tree holds. I want to know something that God hasn't told me yet. Now, back to Saul in this story. Saul doesn't know what God hasn't told him. Saul doesn't know what to do next. So instead of waiting on God to reveal to him, instead, he's going to go try and get this knowledge some other way by sin. The stories here in the garden and Saul in the kingdom are so parallel, 
right? That all this brokenness, all this sin and failure comes through this desire to know something that God doesn't want us to know. Now, I I use this, I've taught this in classes from high school all the way up to training pastors, and I always ask this, that there's, there's stuff that God doesn't want you to know. Imagine someone who has been the victim of abuse. They have a knowledge of something that isn't good. They have an experience of something that is painful and destructive. God never wanted us to know that, to understand that. See, sin is that. It's that knowledge we were never supposed to have. And so Saul, in this moment, doesn't accept that God has withheld knowledge from him. So verse 13, back at the witch of Endor, the king, meaning Saul, said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. So here's what this passage is not. This passage is not a passage affirming that you can find out your future by going to a medium or a psychic, right? No one knows the future but God alone. This passage is also not a passage saying you can talk to the dead, right? This isn't something saying, listen, that's perfectly acceptable, go do that, or it's even possible. What this passage is, is of showing about how God has withheld something from Saul and how Saul will do anything, including disobey God and try and go around God to get this information out because of his fear and because of his lack of patience. And what happens in this moment we're not sure. What happens is something shows up. She sees something. For sure, she knows it's Saul. The, the, the disguise doesn't work anymore. Is it Samuel? Is it not Samuel? We're going to see, but it isn't about that. It's about Saul. This isn't something saying, listen, that stuff is real. God is the only one that knows our future, right? God is the only one that can tell us what is going on. So if this is really Samuel and he really speaks to Saul and he really tells him something, it's because God lets Samuel do so, not because this is a valid way of figuring out things that God has not yet revealed to us. It's super important that we understand that and don't misuse this passage. Verse 15, it says, then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress For the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Why would you ask me? I represent God. I'm with God. I'm not going to do something God doesn't want. That's what you're doing, right? How far are we willing to go? When God hasn't given us the next step, are, are we willing to disobey God just to find out? Are we willing to sin to get to this next place or to figure out? Will we let our fears and our cares and our concerns, will we let that drive us to places that are unhealthy for us? What do we do when God hasn't shown us the next step yet? Verse 17, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord had torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. And the Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. 
Saul finds out something that will happen, and it's not good. And instead of waiting on God and, and being submitted to God and being patient and waiting on God and, and hearing, nope, you can't win this one, go home, he pushes past God to sin, to a medium, to find out and call upon Samuel, who Samuel says, why, why would you ask me? This is just bad upon bad upon bad, sin upon sin upon sin. And Samuel says, listen, you've chosen your future. You don't want to follow God, so God is going to strip you of your kingdom. In fact, tomorrow when you go to war, the Philistines are going to kill you and your sons, and Israel's going to lose this battle. Saul, your disobedience has disqualified you from being king, and your sin is your, is your demise. You wanted to know so bad, now you know. Tomorrow, you will die. See, the gospel here, message in this, is a reminder that not everything that we want to know is good for us, right? As sin happened in the garden, they found out that the next word after they do this, they're naked, they're ashamed, they begin to hide from God. When God confronts them, they begin to blame one another. Everything falls apart in this moment. And it is such, a, it is a, such an amazing passage when sin hits inside of humanity. And the first thing they recognize, okay, they're naked. Well, they were naked five minutes before that, and everything was okay. Now, all that's changed is sin. Inside, they're broken. Inside, everything's wrong. Nothing externally changed for them. They look exactly the way they did five minutes before sin when everything was okay. But now, the entire world is broken, and they feel a sense of shame. They begin to hide from God. They begin to blame one another. Adam, when he's confronted by God, he says, it's the woman you gave me, blames his wife and God. And so the separation of God and humanity begins here, desiring to know something that God has not revealed to us, allowing that desire for something, that knowledge of something, a fear of something, whatever it might be, to cause us to go and sin. So the rift tears humanity and God apart. But Jesus enters into human flesh. God become fully human. Jesus lives the life that you and I are called to do. In fact, verse after verse, talk about Jesus not knowing everything. Mark 13 says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. That when asked about the end times, Jesus says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, meaning himself, but only the Father Jesus lived a life of not knowing everything, even though he was God in human flesh. He gave up that omniscience, that all-knowing part of himself so that he could live like us, so that he could not know everything and be dependent upon God. And as he lived that life, he became our sacrifice, the penalty paid for our sin. And Jesus would be falsely accused and, and falsely condemned. He would be betrayed by his own and then brutally beaten and nailed on a cross. In fact, we are getting really close to Good Friday where we will walk through that night of the crucifixion. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday. Night after that, Good Friday where we'll look at why Jesus would give his life for us. But for today, Jesus gave his life so that when we sin, he has paid the penalty on our behalf. That we can stand before God again and know that God loves us and desires us and that we are his children once again. That if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation that if sins have been forgiven, that all of that has passed away and that newness of life is his or hers. 
and that in Christ we are forgiven, and that in Christ we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't mean we're going to know everything. That doesn't mean that every step, it's going to be super clear. God sometimes allows those unclear things so that we will be dependent back to the beginning of today. David doesn't know what he's to do next. He knows king, Saul is still king. He knows he's not supposed to kill Saul. He knows he will be king. But instead of trying to force the issue, he retreats to the land of the Philistines, to the land of the enemies of God's people. And yet God shows him favor because he doesn't force past where God is. Jesus came and covered our sin. Jesus came to promise, to give us the promise, the inheritance of being the children of God again. I want to close with some, uh, a, a note. That it's called learning to live by faith. When God doesn't reveal something to us, it is so that we can learn how to trust in what he does reveal. It is about learning to take each step by faith. When God doesn't reveal something to us, he's not being not good to us. He is teaching us dependence. Again, look back in the garden. The knowledge they got out of that was bad, right? The knowledge of Saul got is bad, right? The knowledge of someone who, who is abused, they have a knowledge I don't have, but it's not good. God gives us every good thing we need. God gives us everything. And when he withholds it, to teach us to be dependent, to not take the next step. If Saul didn't take that next step, he wouldn't have died in that battle. We need to learn that God's revealing is in his time and it's for our best. Proverbs says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in God. Lean into God. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your own way of thinking. Trust God. He will take you step by step. He will walk you through life. He will walk us as a church through life. We've had to go through this last year and whatever it's been of coronavirus, asking God, what's our next step? What's our next step? Right now, okay, we got to pull back. Now we get to open back up. We have to trust God with every step. Trusting him means sometimes just don't lean on your own understanding. Trust him. Trust he will reveal what we need. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we know that you were led by the Spirit. I remember at the baptism of your Spirit, God, you spoke out and said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus, you, you received that power from the Holy Spirit. And it says the next thing is that the Holy Spirit drives you out into the wilderness that you can be tempted. Well, sometimes you will lead us to places where we will encounter struggle but it's for our own good. Or you'll lead us to a place where it'll seem like a struggle, but it'll actually turn out to be something that you have ordained for good for us. Lord, I don't know what we're entirely to have learned from coronavirus or this last 13, 14 months. I pray that we would learn those lessons. I pray that this is the last time we have to roll it back, stay at home or whatever. I pray that this is the beginning of more normalcy. We don't know the future, though, God. Only you know the future. And you've not told us what comes next, necessarily. So you teach us to be dependent. Let us be dependent. But just not just dependent and, and grumpy and complaining, but God, while we depend on you, let us trust in you knowing you're there for our good. You withheld the knowledge of evil and pain and hurt and sin from Adam and Eve. You withheld bad from them, not good. You withheld a war that would kill Saul. You protected David. God, help us to learn how to trust you. 
We see good examples. We see bad examples. We see people who fall short, but Jesus, you never fell short. You trusted every of your steps on earth. You trusted every one of them to God our Father. Let us do the same, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.